Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Last season on the Choosing Sides F1 podcast, we established unequivocally that F1 is the pinnacle of motorsports. We did, but honestly, I was left with more questions than answers, Tony. I'm Tony Cameron-Brown, a tech, culture, and F1 commentator. And I'm Michael Costa, comedian from The Daily Show. Join us for season two of Choosing Sides F1. Our F1 102, if you will. And get all of the answers. All of them? Listen to Choosing Sides F1 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Julian Edelman from Games With Names, and we're on a search to find the greatest games of all time with the players and coaches who lived in them. Ever wonder what a locker room feels like at a halftime of a Super Bowl? Or what about the, the after parties? We're going to dive deep into the most iconic games with the most iconic people. New episodes dropping weekly. Listen to Games with Names on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the No Sports Report, a production of iHeartRadio and Treefort Media. My name is Jensen Karp, and I'm a sports fan. And because there aren't any actual games going on, I have to focus on things like those new Rams jerseys. I haven't been this critical about an outfit since Bjork was a swan. Yeah, the helmet looks like two Mr. T-hoop earrings. There's a weird nameplate on the chest just in case a player CTE forces him to forget what team he plays for. And they rely heavily on a color they're calling bone white. But I actually don't hate them as much as I thought I would. And yeah, my opinions took about 48 hours to mold. Because other than that, all I'm doing is talking to athletes and sports industry professionals about what they're doing in quarantine, hoping to figure out if they miss competing as much as I miss watching it. This is the No Sports Report. Thanks to COVID-19 and the resulting stay-at-home mandate, there aren't many businesses prospering in 2020. Unless you're Zoom, Instacart, or you own stock in pajama pants, this isn't really an ideal economic climate for thriving. And that's why Emma Lovewell was so important to get on this podcast. She's a fitness instructor who is quickly becoming the face of the at-home exercise equipment and media company Peloton, a business that has never been more in the spotlight now that the ability to work out has shifted from public gyms to solely private homes. Best known for their stationary bikes and interactive screens that bring a spinning class into the comfort of your living room, Lovewell has shot to the top of everyone's favorite teacher list, including Ellen DeGeneres, who recently sung her praises on daytime TV. But this grind isn't new to the multi-talented health guru. Her blog, Live, Learn, Love Well, helps even those not ready yet to climb on the bike, and her past with the company goes back further than you can imagine. On this episode, we talk about moving in New York City during a global event, sad as hell playlists, and if healthy Chinese food is even possible. And after that, I get to check in with Dan Weike, the LA Times basketball writer, who will help me understand if these rumors about basketball coming back soon are true. This and so much more on a new episode of the No Sports Report. Call from Emma Lovewell. To accept, press one. Hello, Emma. Hi, Jensen. I want to start off by asking where you've been quarantined and with who. 
I am just 90 minutes north of New York City, and I'm with my boyfriend right now. Yeah, so this I, I need to talk to you about. I feel like right off the bat, I read that you were basically forced out of your Manhattan like apartment. How does that dude, how does that landlord sleep at night? <laughs> so yeah, I lived in Brooklyn uh, for a long time, and our landlord told us maybe a month before all of this started happening that um, everybody in the building would have to move out for renovations. And so then once, you know, quarantine started happening and my boyfriend and I were like, oh, we don't want to be in New York. What if, you know, we get stuck here and and we want to have outdoor space, you know, maybe we should just leave now. You know, our landlord gave us 90 days to leave, um, but we left after, you know, 30 days of that notice. So it wasn't like a, you know, forceful exit, but we uh, just decided to get out while we could. I guess. I mean, I feel like you put that on hold, though. You know what I mean? Like, how's he even finding, like, a full crew to work on his place? Yeah, you know, honestly, I don't even know if construction's allowed in New York right now. But uh, I'm sure we could have made a case to stay. And I, I, he's actually a nice guy, so I don't want to, you know, paint him in a bad light. But I'm sure he would have let us. But at the same time, we were like, we don't even really want to be here right now. So it kind of worked out. I, w- I will fight him. I'll fight him for you. Uh, what what was moving like during the pandemic? I assume so many places you need to go to are closed and stuff. Like I, I had anxiety for you reading about it. <laughs> um, yes, we got lucky. We, you know, I mean, we called this moving company and they were great. You know, they came in and had two movers wearing masks and we all kind of just, you know, while they were helping pack one room, we were in a different room trying to kind of just be respectful of space and get it done as fast as possible. Um, but, you know, what's interesting is a month later, our neighbors next door decided to move and we gave them the same moving company and the rates for the movers skyrocketed. You're actually the first person that I've interviewed who lived in what was the epicenter of COVID-19 for a minute uh, in New York City, right there in Manhattan. What, what was that like for you? Ooh, well, you know, I actually was on a trip in Mexico right before this all happened. And so I was a little bit, you know, I came back to the city and, you know, my boyfriend and my friends and coworkers or everybody's talking about it. And I felt like I was kind of in this bubble for the previous week. And so it kind of hit me hard where there was just so much unknown and so much anticipation of what the city would be like. And, you know, people were talking about how they would close the roads and the bridges. And so you you wouldn't even be able to leave. And that, you know, like people were going to extremes. And then there was also the other side where people were like, it's no big deal. Don't even worry about it. It's just the flu. Um, So it's really hard to find kind of like what you believe. And you have to take all the information that you can and then, you know, make the best decision. But um, I would still even after I left, I was still coming into Manhattan to work. Mm-hmm. And that was really eerie, I have to say. You know, I drove on the West Side Highway and there was just no cars. There was a ton of news cameras everywhere. There was some military. Everybody's wearing masks. It's definitely a little creepy. Yeah, I mean, and now, listen, sometimes something good comes out of something so horrific. And you are now quarantining in the woods, it appears, if I go off of your Instagram. <laughs> Is that something you've kind of always wanted to do to move from the sort of hustle bustle into uh, a bit of a farm? Yeah, you know, I'm from, you know, a super rural place. And so it's kind of in my nature to, you know, I love gardening and I love having open space. I still also love the energy of the city, but this felt like the right time to kind of just get out of the city. Yeah, I mean, I I know a lot of your life is about keeping fit and especially for your job, but 
you gotta you gotta clue me in. You could even whisper it if you feel like no one else will hear it. Have you let anything go during the pandemic? Have you got really into beer or like tried those white cheddar Cheetos that don't stain your hands? Is there anything you've done that we can we could admit and just and just come clean? Yeah, sure. I mean, I've definitely, you know, with some of my girlfriends, we have cocktail hour almost every day, every other day. It's it's become way more consistent than it ever has. And we do like a group FaceTime and we all have, you know, a little glass of rosé or tequila or something. And mm-hmm. it's definitely more than I would ever normally <laughs> consume in a regular day. <laughs> I will I will allow it. Has there anything that the boredom or the stress has led you to hobby wise? I did I did sort of get into your scallions situation right now. Tell people about that. I grew up with vegetable garden, flower garden. And you know, there's this this life hack where if you buy scallions at the grocery store and you you know, use the green part. So you just cut it at the white part. You put the white part in the roots in just a glass of water. They will regrow fast Hmm. and like faster than normal plants, right? So in a week, you'll have an entirely new tall scallion. And um, it's just like the best life hack, especially when you're, you know, trying to be smart and, you know, only grocery shop once a week or whatever you're doing. So I started posting about that and it's, I, I created the hashtag scallion stories and it kind of caught on like wildfire. So I see a lot of people posting about scallions, which I love. I, I can side with you on scallions. I also figured out that you were trying to get into calligraphy and that one I cannot back you on. That is, you can only use that if you're like all your friends are getting married. Um, it didn't last very long. That was a hobby that um, was a pretty quick turnover, but it was fun at the time. <laughs> yes. No, listen, we're with you. I'm down for you to pick it up for a while. I just don't want you using too much of your skills on it. Now, tell me about how your journey with Peloton uh, started, because it sounds like some of the most serendipitous shit ever. Uh, how do you, like to go from that into the basically right now, the face of the company, explain how this happened. Totally. Yeah. No, it, it was very uh, serendipitous. And actually, a lot of the instructors, we have all known each other from past lives, too, because a lot of us were performers and dancers and fitness models in the cities. So it, it's very full circle now that we all work together. But yeah, in 2012, I believe it was, I was hired as a fitness model for the Peloton Kickstarter campaign. And um I was in fitness. I was a professional dancer. I was taking a lot of classes. I was about to start teaching um, at another spin studio. And I did the job. I met the founder, his wife, the team. You know, maybe there were 15 people working at Peloton at the time. And I remember, you know, John Foley, the CEO, being like, you're going to love our bike. It's it's like riding on a cloud. It's it's like nothing you've ever experienced before. Mm -hmm. And and I do remember, you know, riding on it. I was like, wow, this is really nice. And then at the end of the day, I was like, best of luck to you guys. You know, wish you the best. Right. And, you know, great idea, guys. You know, good luck. And then I went on to teach at another studio for three years and kind of honed my craft. I did personal training, Pilates, all these other um, fitness things. Mm-hmm. And then I was just kind of following them on Facebook. And so anytime they would post, you know, we're in Wall Street Journal, we're in Fortune Magazine, I was just following and amazed at, you know, the growth. And so I emailed John directly because I still had his email from five years before. And I said, 
you know, hey, remember me? Hope you're well. Um, just seeing if there are any job opportunities. Would love to talk to you about it, you know. And he wrote back in 20 minutes and he was like, yes, come audition. We have interviews. We have auditions. Come to New York. And because at this time I was living in California. Mm-hmm. And so I came back to the city and auditioned and then it just went from there. Yeah. I mean, I I don't think Peloton has been as relevant ever as it is right now with gyms and spin classes all shut down. The stock has went up 86% since mid-March. There are classes that currently have over 20,000 people in them. You get name-checked by Ellen as her favorite instructor. What has the last two months been for you and this company? I mean, it's got to be nuts. Yeah, you know, we are very lucky. Obviously, you cannot plan something like this. And we had no idea that this would be the state of the world. But I think it's interesting because, you know, we're all going through this difficult time and figuring out, you know, making hard decisions about family and friends and and where to move and where to live and how to go grocery shopping and all these things. And then having, you know, a great job like Peloton has, it's been, you know, a blessing to have something that actually feels really stable in a time that feels really unstable. So, you know, we as employees are all going through our own thing, but yet when we come to work, it's like we know that we're doing something amazing right now and we are all just so lucky that we get to do what we do. Yeah, and the truth is, is like it really is performing a service for a lot of people who need it for their mental health and to get through this stress. I mean, they do depend on on fitness. And a lot of people obviously were already in the Peloton sort of uh, cult, if I dare say it. Uh, But now you have new people joining and it really does. I mean, you're, you're performing a bit of an essential job. I mean, I know it's not, you know, frontline work, but the truth is, is I know a lot of people who have been depending on, on what you guys are doing. Yeah. In general, in a normal state of the world, I get messages through social media thanking me for classes. But definitely in the last, you know, two months, I've gotten a ton of messages from people. And it's really, you know, heartwarming to hear how my classes are impacting people positively. And and some teachers are doing their classes from home now. Is that what you plan on doing? Yeah, some instructors are doing that. You know, we kind of had to do a trial run. So oh. two instructors decided to give it a try first, and that went well. And so now a few more instructors are doing that. And we also have, you know, yoga, meditation, strength, running classes that are coming from home. Mm. I uh, can say that I I don't believe I'll be teaching from home yet, but I can't confirm that for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, you know, we should, you know, be back in the studio soon-ish. So hopefully we'll be able to, you know, go back to to start this new normal and and see what that looks like. Yeah, I mean, they can't fit you and your equipment in there with all the scallions that you have on the floor. I know. Your multi-hyphenate is incredibly impressive. Dance coach, fitness model, personal trainer, Pilates instructor, but we need to get into DJ. Uh, When did you start DJing? So that was also a kind of a short stint. Um, when did I get into DJing? So I, I was also a bartender for mm-hmm. a long time um, when I was, you know, in my early 20s and living in New York. I was going on dance auditions, commercial auditions, all this stuff, and, you know, bartending on the weekend. So I think I've always had a love for music. My dad's a musician. Um, I grew up playing the piano and singing. And so, and then as a dancer, music is a huge part of my life. And so um, I think kind of being in the nightlife scene, I was friends with a lot of DJs. So I was like, you know what, I want to just give this a try. And, you know, bought a set of turntables on Craigslist and just like went for it. And, you know, I DJed in New York for maybe like six months to a year and would just do it kind of for 
house parties and stuff. But then once I got into fitness, that helped me to another level because basically I'm a DJ right now. I'm curating playlists all the time. Um, all of us do that at Peloton. We, you know, we make our own playlist. And so we spend a ton of time listening to music and, and putting music together. Yeah. So I, so I looked up some, I, I listened to Uplifting and Hopeful. I listened to Wake Up Slowly, but then that got me to one that seemed like quarantine is finally getting to you. Uh, it is a playlist <laughs> called Crying in My Car. <laughs> what, what are the yep. requirements to, to be a song to make, uh, to make Crying in My Car? And do you work out to this list? Oh, I, I do not work out to the crying in my car, but okay. you could, you know, everybody has a different interest. So I got to teach uh, an official cold play ride a couple months ago on, on Peloton. And um, I, you know, a lot of cold play music can be very emotional and sad. And I said something in the class where I said, if you've never cried in your car while listening to cold play, you've never actually lived. And that sentence kind of stuck and it was, it was kind of a funny moment. So I started thinking and I'm like, you know, because it was the song Fix You by Coldplay, which I mean, come on, if you listen to that song, you don't shed a tear, you don't have a soul. Um, so I started thinking about all the songs that have like been with me through breakups and hardships and loss and all these things. And and so I compiled them together and I was like, wow, this is, you know, this is quite a list. And, you know, people I think right now in quarantine, um, are everybody's going through a lot and people are looking for ways to get out energy. So whether that's exercise or, you know, just moving your body or dancing or, you know, cooking or, or whatever, all these new things that you're getting into, there's also this space that's like, yes, you have permission to feel sad. You have permission to cry. It's incredibly cathartic. And I just wanted to kind of like encourage people that that's okay. And also here's a very sad playlist that will help you do that. <laughs> hey, you got you to have levels. You got you to gotta have both sides to it. I understand. Uh, I I wanted to look at your blog. I, I took a lot in. The one that stuck with me the most was about waking up in the morning and making sure not to check your phone. I, I I check my phone without even thinking about it. Like my mind immediately has me check my phone within I don't know five minutes of waking up. Yeah. Why is this destructive? You know, I I did a lot of research on this and just reading articles about how you know um, impressionable we are in the morning. It's one of our most vulnerable times of the day. And so I think when you're so worried about, you know, when you open your phone, you're immediately starting to think about other people and what other people are thinking about you on social media or other people are responding to your emails or not responding to your emails. And what does that mean? It's just taking away all this attention, this valuable attention onto somebody else when really in the morning is the most important time for you to set the tone for the rest of your day. Um, so trust me when I say that, like, this is hard for me too. And I honestly don't do it every single day. And I go through a time where if I'm feeling like, oh, I haven't been having the best days or the best mornings, then I remember these tricks, right? And like the first one is just don't look at your phone right away. I'll try it for a day. And I'm like, oh yeah, this is why I do it because it's good. It, I can tell it makes a difference. Um, it just makes me have a better day. Mm -hmm. And and if, you know, if anyone's following you on Instagram, they can see how motivational and positive you try to stay for at least the people who've been following you through either just social media or through Peloton and, and, and what they've been doing uh, fitness-wise. What, what other ways have you been able to do that, staying sort of uh, on the positive side of things? Yeah, I have to limit my 
news intake, I think. I, you know, maybe a month ago, I was watching the news like multiple hours a day and just getting so consumed into it. And now, you know, I try to read a few articles, maybe spend a half an hour to an hour reading the news, but then otherwise I have to kind of step away from it. Mm-hmm. That has been very helpful. Um, I have a cat, which has also been, this is the best time, I think, to be a pet owner. Yes. And, um, I definitely think that my cat's name is Kimchi, yeah. um, named after the the food. Yeah. And um, I think just having like an animal as a distraction has just, you know, anytime you're feeling down and you look over at your pet and they're doing something totally stupid, like chasing their tail, it just like lightens the mood. Sure. And I'm very thankful that I that I have a cat. <laughs> well, your mother is Chinese. You you majored in Chinese at Amherst. Yep. My wife and I have been trying to support our favorite local Chinese restaurant down the street from us, which we love. We've been going there since we were, I guess, teenagers. We've lived here. Like it's, We're hearing it's not only just a bad time for small business, but also morons around the world are scared to go to Chinese restaurants, which is just totally insane. I know. Ugh, ugh. But listen, how hard is it to stay healthy eating Chinese food? It seems impossible. What am I missing? Uh, no, you're not, you're not totally wrong. I mean, a lot of Chinese food has a lot of oil and so that makes it, um, hard. I lived in Beijing for six months when I was in college. I did a study abroad program and I definitely, as soon as I got there, I, you know, gained like 10 or 15 pounds. And then as soon as I came back, I lost it. So I knew it was like all the dumplings and, um, delicious food I was eating. But, um, I think, you know, there's a lot of other Asian foods that are, they're just full of color and vegetables. And so if you're, making like a lighter sauce or just not using too much oil. There's definitely ways to eat healthy Chinese food. Yeah. Unfortunately, American Chinese food is not always the healthiest. Yeah. Um, But you know, you do what you can. Yeah. Nothing beats a New York egg roll. We know this. Is there, is there anything that you think has happened during this time? Something we've taken on for the coronavirus for quarantine that you think even when we find a vaccine, even when we're all safe, you hope sticks around something society has done. Yeah, I think um, we've all been allowed to slow down a little bit. And especially I'm a New Yorker. I've lived in New York for the last 12 years. I've just been on go, 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 go all the time. And this has been really awesome to really slow down, cook most of my meals, if not all of them, um, connect more with my family and friends through social media and FaceTime and texting and everything. But I've just kind of I've had days where I'm like, okay, I don't, I don't have anything today. Like I I look at my calendar and I'm like, wow, you know, I have one phone call today. Mm -hmm. This is rare. And this is something I need to enjoy and kind of hopefully take with me even when life does pick up again, is just to kind of remember these slower moments and really appreciate them. Yeah, it is glorious. Nothing on your schedule feels good. I I like ending with that positivity, but I, I promise everyone I have to I have to do something stupid. I have to suggest three things to you that you might be doing, you might not be doing during quarantine. So these are these are three things that could pass some time. Are you ready for these? Uh, yeah, can't wait. Okay. All right. First, during quarantine, I have found myself in many a YouTube wormhole. I've talked about it on this show. I somehow let Seth Rogen convince me to start getting into remote control construction sites which are exactly what you think. It's a remote control car that picks up dirt, moves it to another place. It's insane if you want to get into that, but that's not what I'm suggesting to you. What I'm suggesting to you is another way to waste 10 or 12 hours of your day on YouTube. 
Uh, I can't promise you that this involves clean eating at all, but it's it's a YouTube channel called uh, Steve MRE. Have you ever heard of Steve MRE? No. Okay. Millions of followers. This guy has tons of views. He eats military ration plates. Okay. Oh, wow. So MRE actually stands for Meals Ready to Eat, but they've, you know, it's pre-prepared dinners and lunches from up to a hundred years ago. He buys them through auction. No. Yes, and they're supposed to withstand the test of time. <laughs> and then he sits down, opens up the package, and then eats whatever's in it. So like, ex- for example, he ate a 1955 peanut butter sandwich last week. No. Yeah. No, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, it'll be like a 70-year-old can. He'll open it and then eat crackers from it. And he's, he's even like, because they used to like, um, in a plane, they would just, like parachute these things down to soldiers and it would have like a a drink and water and like a cigarette. So he smoked a cigarette from like the 1910s. (laughs) He's awful, but great. Oh my God. Okay. All right. Yeah. I think he needs to be careful. I mean, he doesn't want to go to the hospital, right? So no, not right now. Steve MRE, we're praying for you, but continue with the great content. Okay. Second, uh, fly a kite. You're new to this big suburban farm or where I, whatever kind of beautiful calligraphy house you're living in. <laughs> When's the last time you've ever flown a kite? They're cheap. It's a simple, easy hobby from our childhood. Seems great for a day when you and your boyfriend are bored. I like that one, actually. And you know, I, uh, I wonder if they are still on Amazon because I have to say, I went on Amazon to buy a puzzle the other day and they yeah. were completely sold out. You cannot get a puzzle anywhere. I know. This truly feels painful to admit. My wife spent $94 on two puzzles yesterday off eBay. $94. She, I was like, are you serious? And she, they retail for like 30 each. So I guess it's not that bad. But I was like, are we really doing this? Yeah. Oh, yeah. We are. Good We're doing God. that. Um, okay. No, but I love that. Okay. Okay. I'll, I could get it. All right. That. Great. Lastly, I know I, I'm, I'm in Hollywood and I, I'm sure a lot of people over your life have said, I have a screenplay idea for you. Here is one. I may be able to add writer to your multi-hyphenate. I think only you can write this because you're supposed to write what you know. It's a thriller horror movie. It's about a Peloton instructor who keeps noticing the name, I will kill you in her classes. It's just in, <laughs> in passing. It's not like a big deal, but wow, that's a terrible name, whatever. You say, oh God, I will kill you. That's a funny name. You say it in the class. She thinks it's funny at first, right? But then you start getting emails saying stuff like, I will kill you or I know where you live. And then he hacks into the bike and starts sending like scary visuals to you in your screen, right? Wow. Yeah. Uh-huh. And then and then he shows up to your apartment to kill you while your spin class is watching, like everyone's watching and oh god, and you're fighting him. The movie's called Heliton. <laughs> I mean, it's good. I yeah, no, that's um I I think a lot of people would watch that for sure. Yes. Um I didn't know if you were going to go with like the ring kind of thing where like a spirit comes out of the screen Ooh. or something like that cuz that could add another dimension, but um also I good. I like it. I like it. I don't know. It, it, I, it, I'll workshop it and get back to you. Uh, well, Perfect. Sounds great. Well, I'm so thankful to have talked to you. Uh, I mean, honestly, the the world is is watching you right now. Mm-hmm. We talked to Paul Shear on this show, uh, comedian, actor, Paul Shear. We were talking today and I go, yo, he said, what are you doing today? I go, I'm interviewing Emma Lovewell. He goes, my favorite Peloton instructor. <laughs> I mean, it's like everyone has sort of, for reals, he's like, I love her core class or something like that. And And it seems like Everyone is dependent right now on on people to get away from this madness, to have some moments of uh, positivity away from what we're facing. And, and you've been able to do that. And at the same time, make Ellen a fan. So good for you. 
Thank you. No, I feel really, really, truly lucky that I get to do that. So it's definitely not lost on me that I have this opportunity. So thanks. After this, my conversation with Dan Wykey, sports reporter for the LA Times. Right now, Feeding America is working tirelessly to ensure our most vulnerable populations, like students who are out of school, the elderly, individuals whose jobs are impacted, and low-income families continue to have access to food and other needed resources during the COVID-19 pandemic. The Feeding America Food Bank Network is committed to serving communities and people facing hunger in America, and their greatest need is donations and support of local food banks. This podcast is committed to donating a portion of the proceeds from the show to Feeding America, and we hope that you can join us in this effort too. Find out how you can help at feedingamerica.org backslash COVID-19. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City Featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Last season on the Choosing Sides F1 podcast, we established unequivocally that F1 is the pinnacle of motorsports. Lily Herman, my co-host in season one, helped me choose a team, a driver, and then... Well, we sent you on your jolly way. Yeah. I'm Tony Cameron Brown, a tech, culture, and F1 commentator. I'm Michael Costa, comedian, Daily Show correspondent. And we're back with season two because, as it turns out, F1's newest fan is still a little... Dazed and confused. Join us for season two of Choosing Sides F1 as we dive deeper into the rabbit hole of the pinnacle of motorsports. Who makes money here? What's CFD? How do you manage a tire? You, get back in there. What are the rumors? What's the gossip? But you also know that someone's listening to your radio. Uh, I'm going to pull up a picture of a tea cozy. I want to see what this thing looks like. Are you going to be doing that accent this whole pod? Listen to season two of Choosing Sides F1 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts. Or wherever you get your podcasts. You find it. Now, here's my chat with the LA Times sports reporter, Dan Wykey. Hey, dude, it's Jensen. Jensen, what's going on, buddy? How are you? I'm doing well. I wanted to start this off by sort of having you explain what you are going through right now at the LA Times, one of the premier newspapers in all of the world. They have created a bit of a furloughing situation for you, which is positive, but still it it gives, I guess, the rest of the world a look into what it's like even at a successful large market paper. 
Yeah, it's weird. You know, I don't fully understand the program, <laughs> to be honest, but our union, which we're lucky we we unionized kind of in the face of real issues at the paper a few years ago, and it, it forced an ownership change. Um, it led to an expansion and jobs, and, and it's been an overall real positive thing for us. The union was able to kind of figure out a way for us to avoid having pretty big layoffs by introducing a furlough program where essentially we all take 20% pay cuts. Um, However, there is a government program that because we're furloughed, that we're entitled to unemployment for the time we are not working. So Mm -hmm. we're able to kind of recoup our losses there at least for a couple months. Um, It's a Band-Aid, but you know, it's an interesting thing. I, I think you know, for someone like me, like my plan to do with that is like, I, I'm blessed in the sense that my wife, well, this isn't the right word, to put it. my wife is a nurse, so she's working. Yeah. Right. You know what I mean? And, and so what I'm hopefully going to do is I'm going to take that unemployment money, put it aside. If we need it, it'll be there. And if mm. we make it through this and we don't need it, um, hopefully do something pretty cool with it. Um, yeah. Not like a pool, but like <laughs> yeah. by a humongous moon bounce. <laughs> Put it back into the community or something. Some do something really good. Maybe buy some nice Jordan debt. You know, get a Rolex. <laughs> um, so you basically work on some days off other days, is what I'm hearing. Yeah, like like I have worked 32 hours a week mm-hmm. um, now instead of the 40, whatever. And for me, it's Tuesdays. So like I am. What did, what did I do on Tuesday? I played some video games. Mm-hmm. I did some reading. You know, took a bike ride, okay. um, and it was just sort of like, yeah, that was just a, and it was weird because this past Tuesday, a bunch of NBA stuff happened, right? And I just had to kind of sit it out, and like, you can't call anybody, you can't check in with anybody, mm. you can't work, and because if you do, you jeopardize the program for everybody. So it, it's strange, like you know, you just kind of have your fingers crossed that nothing like catastrophic will ever happen on a Tuesday. Yeah, well, I, I I think right now, days of the week don't mean much, which is one of the reasons that I wanted to talk to you because with baseball, right? So with baseball, I kind of understand what's happening. They want to do an 80-game uh, season. They want to do it in Florida. Right now, it looks like there's a major, just a, a problem between the players' union and the owners about profit share and who's going to take a pay cut, that kind of stuff. Basketball seems way more complex, yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I think to me, the basketball thing comes down to two or three sort of real key issues. Like in terms of like what the quote unquote bubble is going to look like, mm-hmm. I don't think that's a huge impediment. Everybody that I talked to about it kind of pitches more of sort of like an Olympic village style right. system where it's like wherever you're going to be quarantined and it's not going to be a strict quarantine, but like wherever you're at is going to have restaurants, it's going to have activities and stuff like that so like ideally like you won't have to leave said campus and that's one of the reasons obviously why disney world looks so appealing disney and vegas right right like i think sort of the idea of taking a vegas block you know um because you have different restaurants you've got different places you can play you've got gaming and stuff like that kind of all sort of there and you can stay busy Mm -hmm. you know i i think that to me isn't the the huge hurdle. Like the biggest hurdle, and and I've talked to a bunch of people about this is sort of what happens when someone gets it. Yeah. Um, Because someone's going to get it. Yeah. Um, I think that is sort of um, needs to be accepted by whether it's the PGA, whether it's by NASCAR, whether it's by 
I mean, we saw a UFC card, you know, try to go off with this and someone got it, yeah. you know, and his entire fight team got it. Right. And they, they show went on and we'll kind of learn more. I think here in the next few weeks, whether or not, if it spread or how much it spread um, to other people. And it, it'll be really interesting to see kind of how, how they move forward. It's that they don't seem like they care very much, but you know, we'll see kind of how that, that plays out. But I think that's a huge issue for the NBA. Um, Adam Silver in a call with players the other day basically said, like, if we think that someone getting it means we have to shut everything down, like we should, that's not a road that we can go down. Right. Like there's just no point in coming back. Then. Yeah. And, and I think what I wanted to talk to you about is that I'm getting the feeling that a lot of people are saying, oh, that's OK. We won't we won't stop down if someone tests positive. And, and that's a terrifying thought. Yeah. I mean, Jensen, I think like I mean, ultimately, right, like isn't this going to be sort of the, the bargains that people are going to make societally? Right. Like zero percent risk is it's an impossibility. So what, you know, the NBA has done, what I think society in in some ways at large has done. And I'm, to be clear, I am not a, like, throw the doors open. I'm I'm not the governor of Georgia. (laughs) No, no. (laughs) Uh, But what people have done, right, is like, is like, we've tried to mitigate and buy ourselves time. Now, whether or not how much people have used the time in good ways, like, so like, you know, the way the NBA used this time, right? Mm -hmm. Like another one of the issues that they had to deal with, or they're going to have to deal with, is they're going to have to be able to test a lot of people. Yeah. Okay. To do this. And they're going to have to be able to test frequently. And the amount of tests available is not the impediment to the NBA because it turns out the NBA is run by a bunch of super rich people. Yeah. And if you're super rich, you can buy a whole bunch of coronavirus tests. Yeah. You know what I mean? And getting the tests isn't the problem. It's using them and kind of not looking like some big evil entity that's you know, ripping tests out of tiny Tim's hands mm-hmm. as he hobbles through an alleyway somewhere, right? Like you don't want to look like the bad guy in like a, a Dickens novel. Um, yeah. Like the league wants to be responsible about this. So I, I think that's like a huge element of this is trying to find the right balance to be like, okay, with the NBA testing a bunch of people. And, and I mean, I think like we look at a place like, I mean, we're both in LA County and you know, if you live in LA County, you can make an appointment and go get a test right now. So like, at least I feel like locally, like if the NBA, if, if the Clippers somehow, some big giant expose said the Clippers bought a thousand coronavirus tests, mm-hmm. I don't feel like there'd be like a big uproar here because it feels like if people need tests, they exist. Yeah, but definitely not, not in the rest of the world. The rest of the world's not going to feel that way, I don't think. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. That's like another thing they're going to have to deal with is sort of like, when, when do we get to a point where we feel like there's adequate, like, I mean... I would say let's just focus on domestic testing, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, I think you can turn a blind eye to global issues. Like, you know, um, I say that kind of cavalierly, but I mean, pro sports have been doing that for a long time. It's not like, you know, Ebola happens and everybody shuts down and is like, we got to focus all our resources and stuff like that. Like, we're, this is a backyard kind of, you know, people who focus on what's in front of them. Clearly different when it's when it's our families, right? Yeah, and I, and I think so that that to me in terms of once we get to that point in terms of testing um, where at least it looks okay that they can distribute all of these tests. And then look, I, I, I mean, I don't know about you, 
Um, I've seen like these videos, like there was one today, the Orlando Magic posted a video today of Nikola Vucevic getting in work at their facility, right? Yeah. yeah. And this is what it looked like. It was him shooting like 20% speed jump hooks while a assistant coach with a surgical mask, medical gloves on and like sanitized shoes through and bounce passes. Yeah. Which, which doesn't, it does not leave me to believe basketball can be played. I've seen what they've been doing and I'm like, and we talked to a major league soccer player who's doing individual quarantine practice with the facility and and the uh, major league soccer. And it it sounds terrible. It sounds like an outbreak movie. Yeah. You know, it's like, I was talking to a league executive just about the steps that need to happen from today to just a practice. And again, it feels like to me, like one of the things that'll have to happen is there's going to have to be a relaxation of expectations in terms of safety. And it's hard. And obviously there's competitive drive involved in this. There's tons and tons of money tied up in TV contracts. And like, look, I think the NBA isn't dumb. Like they know what kind of numbers the NBA playoffs would do right now. Empty arena or not. Right. Like, I mean, they're, they're, they're sitting there looking at all these people that are watching 20-year-old Chicago Bulls footage, and they see those ratings. Yeah, they're salivating. Yeah, we can give you something that you don't know the end of. Yeah. I guess the thing that makes me so iffy on this is that the players might be 20, 30 years old and completely fit, but coaches and personnel and uh, God, American sweetheart, Greg Popovich, Mm -hmm. these guys are 60, I mean, 70 in Popovich's case. I mean, do they just not go to Vegas? Do they just not go to Disney World? Are they done for the season? Are they like, what happens? Well, I mean, and that's a really good question too. And I'm sure like you wouldn't want to open yourself up to any like ageism lawsuits or anything like that either too, right? I mean, like who on your staff is at higher risks? And you might have to make some really tough decisions. I know you're a Clippers fan. Like that notion of the Clippers having like 13 assistant coaches like they currently do seems like, okay, like that can't be allowed. Do we imagine, I mean, again, it's a new world. Do we imagine FaceTime Popovich? I mean, is is there a, a world where we have computerized coach who watches the game and sends in his stuff? I mean, okay, sure. Yeah. I mean, right? Like, I mean... Is like pop off site, like just having a Zoom meeting. I mean, because you can't coach the team without him. He's he's the core of the team. I mean, it would be very odd to be the Spurs without him. I guess the other thing I, I wanted to ask you about is this is this very mysterious phone call um, between the players. And when I say the players, I mean the superstars. So tell us what you know about that call. Um, so that's actually one of the things that I think happened on the furlough day. Mm-hmm. First of all, so basically what I know is like I think what the league and what the players union judgment has done here over the past few years is like it's transitioned from an organization that, you know, I mean, Derek Fisher was the president. Derek Fisher is certainly famous in Los Angeles and has a certain level of national fame, but that fame comes from being a role player on a team with Kobe Bryant. Right now. I think when you look at sort of like the important people in the union, you've got people like Chris Paul, who's the president, you've got, LeBron James, who was heavily involved for years. And I think there's a sense that if this is going to work and if this is going to move forward, that it's going to have to at least in part be driven by these guys. Yeah. So on that call, you had Jonas, you had LeBron, you had Steph Curry, you had Chris Paul. Do they know who else? Kawhi Leonard, I believe, was on that call. I doubt he talked much. Yeah. <laughs> Kawhi, keep it down. Yeah. Um, like. You're on a conference call. Mute, mute. Hit the mute button. Yeah, don't even, you don't even need to be a video participant right now, Kawhi. Yeah, you know, Damian Lillard, I think, was on it. Like, it was sort of, you know, essentially like you're 
all-star team. Mm-hmm. Like they had the biggest contract. So when they're taking pay cuts, like they're going to be the people that are giving up the most money. Mm-hmm. And I think if those guys are on board, people will follow just like everybody was seemingly okay with Michael Jordan, just calling teammates ho all the time. <laughs> no. yeah. There is something very positive about the phone call. And, and I, I take, other than the fact that I've heard that they're just like united front, we, we're going to play again, which is very weird to me. But yes. the one positive thing that I've taken out of it is that the NBA for so many years in the Donald Sterling era, like they were owner driven and the players had very little power and they weren't able to bargain. And now you have a league where the stars are the driving force and you're seeing it here with this phone call. And what does it matter if what the owners say? It's up to us. And and they obviously have an opinion that I feel nervous about, but at least, at least that's the most important opinion. Yeah, right. Exactly. It, it feels like if players play, it'll be driven from a desire to do so instead of a contractual obligation. Yeah. I think they'll have a really strong voice in terms of what sort of the living situations look like, what in terms of who is coming, what kind of, you know, am I going to be not without my family? Like, I don't want to do that. Can we do it at a bigger campus? Can it be a place like Disney World instead of, say, like, I don't know, Louisville, Kentucky? You know what I mean? Where I don't know that you want to take your seven-year-old on that many, like, distillery tours. I mean, listen, could be fun. Could really get the kid into things. (laughs) Uh, you are the you're the basketball writer for the LA Times. You are connected very much in a city where you know looked like we were going to be the Western Conference uh, divisional finals. At least you know that we were we had both teams. It looked like. Yeah. What do you see happening? What is your prediction for the NBA season? I think they'll try to play in July. Mm-hmm. Um, at some point, like after that, it's it's just impossible to say. Like what happens if like one test happens, like one positive test or two, right? Mm-hmm. Now they'll have to get to a point where that doesn't shut the league down. What if it's like thirty? Yeah, then arm, you got to throw your arms in the air. I mean, and 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 that that seems like something we've never had in sports, let alone basketball. It has never felt this out of control. Yeah, yeah. And it's tricky because like, so I was talking to somebody with the Toronto Raptors, and so like Toronto's last two games. I believe like before league shutdown, right. Is like they were in San Francisco. I was actually at this game. Mm-hmm. Um, they were in San Francisco, like right as sort of, this is like percolating. So like they are there hot spotting. Right. Yeah. And then from there they go to Utah <sighs> and they play the jazz yeah. who, you know, may have had two players who are already positive right before they go to play in Oklahoma city. Like who knows? Mm-hmm. So like the Raptors seemingly are like high exposure rates. Yeah. Um, they're in a city where it's everywhere. And then they play a team where players have it. Everybody tested every quarantine for two weeks. Nobody had it. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think the league looks at that and says, well, what do we do with that information? What do we know? And, and the answer is very little. Yeah. Well, then they'll look and say, okay, well, like the Nets played the Lakers in a city again, where this is percolating. And we had, you know, multiple players on both teams test mm-hmm. positive. Mm-hmm. Without rumor mongering a bit here, we never truly found out who was positive on the Lakers. Correct. Right. Okay. Don't know. And I feel like a lot of this stuff, like we know some more particulars now than we did on March 11th when the league shut down. But like a lot of these conversations like feel the same to me. Yeah. And here we are a month later and it's like, yeah, we know a little more, but no one really knows for sure. They're still trying to figure everything out. And I think that's kind of where we're at. And that's, I think that's the terrifying part for me, but, but it does seem I'm in the minority. It seems like a lot of people want 
sports to come back as soon as possible. I obviously want sports to come back. I am a super fan who feels, you know, anemic right now because of this. But, you know, I just want everyone to be safe. And and these are guys that are much more than just stats to me and to you, obviously. You work with them. Yep. And I just want, you know, I guess I want to get on the phone with you just because baseball to me sounded like, all right, we're still a far way away. Basketball just feels like any day we could hear some weird situation where they're all playing in the backdraft show at Universal Studios. I'm like, you know, in, in, the, in the huge hangar, they do a weird Miami Vice thing in. It's like, I, I just, I, I, it's very volatile for me and I hope everyone stays safe. I think these things that feel like they're sort of bombshell developments mm-hmm. are amplified right now. This still feels like baby steps. Yeah. They're all seemingly acting like pretty responsibly and not like just super greedily Good. despite the fact that, you know, there's a lot at stake for people. Well, I, for one will welcome computer Popovich. So as long as you know, robot body, iPad head. Well, he won't talk to me then either. So. <laughs> well, thanks for talking to me, man. And uh, stay safe. And I, I'm going to check back in with you as these things develop. So be well. Ab- absolutely, man. The No Sports Report is produced and distributed by Treefort Media. The show is executive produced by Kelly Garner, Lisa Ammerman, Matthew Kugler, and me, Jensen Karp. Tom Monahan is our senior audio engineer and sound supervisor, with production and editing by Jasper Leak. Additional production help from Tim Schauer, June Rosen, and Haley Mandelberg. Our theme music is composed by Spilkus. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, please subscribe, rate us, and review us on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And please visit feedingamerica.org. If you're able to make a donation, any amount makes a difference, and you can learn more about other ways you can help on their website. For more information on the No Sports Report, links to the socials, and for show transcripts for our hearing-impaired listeners, go to treefort.fm. Be safe and be well. The No Sports Report is a production of iHeartRadio and Treefort Media. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Infinity Presents, a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Last season on the Choosing Sides F1 podcast, we established unequivocally that F1 is the pinnacle of motorsport. We did, but honestly, I was left with more questions than answers, Tony. I'm Tony Cameron-Brown, a tech, culture, and F1 commentator. And I'm Michael Costa, comedian from The Daily Show. Join us for season two of Choosing Sides F1. Our F1 102, if you will. And get all of the answers. All of them? 
Listen to Choosing Sides F1 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.